Okay, we're going to be looking through portions of all four Gospels this morning as we are going to get to uh, looking at the, the timeline of the events and the things that, that took place on Resurrection Day. And it gets kind of complicated and kind of confusing as you read the different Gospel accounts because some of the writers of the different Gospels included things that the others didn't include, and the timeline gets a little bit hard to follow. So we want to try to clarify some of that but focus on the, on the reality of that. But first I want to talk about the facts um, of all that took place on the time of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And I want to start by looking at 1 Corinthians 15 when we talk about the gospel, the fact of the gospel or the truth of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, the, the, the point he is making here is the fact of Christ's death. Now, a lot, of, a lot of the critics of Christianity say that, oh, Jesus didn't really die. He just, he was in a coma, and they put him in a grave, and it, was a, it, was a, it wasn't a, a grave where we covered him with dirt. It was in a tomb, and he recovered in the tomb, and then they, they brought him out, and he, 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 he didn't really die. Well, he died. Uh, when the soldier, uh, the soldier pierced his side with his, his sword and outflowed blood and water, it was a sign that he was dead. Therefore, they didn't have to break the bones of his feet to cause him to die. He was already dead. So it's a, but it's according to the scriptures. And, and that's what is so important and so understanding as you go through and you see the events of Jesus' life and you see the events of the apostles and their miracles and their signs and their wonders but none of that is equal to the Word of God. The Word of God is more important than any of those things that we, that we look at to see if we can see a sign of that. And so when he's talking about the Scriptures, the primary Scripture he's talking about is in Isaiah 53, when he talks about the death for our sins. He died for our sins. That's the important thing. When Christ went to the cross, he had a specific purpose, and he went to the cross to die for our sins. So if you go to Isaiah 53, and you look at those, those verses in Isaiah 53, uh, beginning in verse 5, it says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many 
as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will lot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. I was hearing, I was listening to a guy this week that was talking, he was a Jew that was talking about the rabbis who refuse to read this portion of scripture in their Jewish synagogues. Because they can't refute the fact and the reality that this is speaking of Jesus Christ who came and did die for the people. And so they refuse that, to read that portion of scripture. Then in 1 Peter 1.18 Peter, again, signifies the reality of this, this truth. I'm sorry, it's, it's 1 Peter 3.18. It says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now that, that verse right there sometimes causes confusion. When it says he was put to death in the flesh but was made alive in the spirit. His spirit never was made alive. His spirit was always alive, okay? So what he's saying is he was put to death in the flesh, which means his fleshly body died, and then his spiritual body was revived, okay? So that, that word that he, was, that he was made alive in the spirit doesn't mean his spirit was made alive. It means that he was made alive in a spiritual body, just like he died in a physical body, he was made alive in a spiritual body. When we're resurrected and we're raptured, when we're brought to a, 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 a new body, our old body has died and gone away. We will be given a new spiritual body. It's a real body, but it's a different kind of body than it was. So we'll be made alive in our body. We're already alive in our spirit if we've been born again. So make, make sure you understand that Jesus never had to be made alive in his spirit. He's always spirit. He, he committed his spirit to the Father's care when he was dying in the flesh, but his spirit was always alive. He, ne he never did become spiritual alive. He didn't have to be born again. He is alive. He is God. He died in the flesh. And the only time he died spiritually was when he was on the cross living and separated from the Father, as we talked about last week. Okay, so as he died for our sins, also we have the understanding and the, and the, the reality that he was resurrected for our righteousness, for our justification. So in Romans chapter 4, when we, when we have this understanding there, uh, in, vo in verse, chapter 4, verse 24, for our sake also to whom it would be reckoned to, to those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered up because or for our sins or for our transgression and was raised because or for our justification. Then in Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 18, so then as, or verse 17, for as by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the, the one Jesus Christ. So then as through the one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through the one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through, as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin. And when he was resurrected, it proved and showed that God was satisfied with the payment made. And now because of his resurrection, we have now life in Christ 
a righteous standing before God that is imputed to us. We are granted by grace His righteousness because of His resurrection. So if we have been buried with Him in, in death, and then we will always also be resurrected with Him in righteous life, and we're granted His righteous standing before God. So the, the fact and the reality of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is that He did die on the cross. And he was buried, and he did rise again on the third day, and we are saved eternally because of the payment for sin that he made. Okay? So there's no question about that, that Jesus died on the cross, and he was resurrected, and all this was to accomplish the redemptive work that God had before the foundation of the world had purposed and planned, and he is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So God purposed it all. He accomplished it all, and now we're the recipients of his goodness and his grace because all those whom he foreknew, he, will, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ, and he has predestined us to be glorified in that image. So all those whom he has foreknown, he will bring to glory because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as you think about the gospel, it's all about this. Jesus came to die for our sins and was resurrected for our righteousness. Any questions about that? The reality and the fact of that is so important, you need to make sure that you don't ever lose sight that this is the main thing. This is the most important time in human history when God became flesh and died on the cross for our sins so that we might have eternal life in a place in glory, in a, in a resurrected body with him forever and ever. So that's what we're dealing with. That's what was accomplished here. Now, in the understanding of what happened during this time, as, as, if, as if you were there when this happened, okay? So turn to Luke. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus was buried. Now, as, you, as you're looking in Luke chapter 23, I want to I read one verse in John. It says, Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby. The tomb was nearby the place of the crucifixion. It's also nearby the place where the apostles are staying. It's nearby, and it's important for you to know that, that the tomb is close by to where they are staying as a group of people that are mourning his death. Okay, so that, that's important for you just to remember as we looked at the events of the night, of the morning of the, of the resurrection, that the tomb is nearby to where they are staying. Okay, now, in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 24, Verse 55, it says, Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb. So they went with the, when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took the body to the tomb and put it in the tomb, and the soldiers that were commissioned by the Sanhedrin went with them and sealed the tomb. They went to see where the tomb was. was. Okay? And then it says, and, see, and to see how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So here these women are preparing to go and go back to the tomb and to anoint the body of Jesus with the spices and the perfumes that they are preparing. So they're preparing to go the next day after the Sabbath to do this work. Sorry. Now who are these women? These women from Galilee. Okay, well, if you go down to verse 10 of chapter 24 of Luke, it says, And they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. So it's a group of women 
that some passages talk about Mary Magdalene and Mary. Uh, other passages talk about the other women. All right, in, in Matthew's gospel, it just says that it's uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary. In, in Mark's gospel, it mentions another lady. It says at, on verse 1 of chapter 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices. In, in Luke's uh, account, it just says the women. And then in John's account, I'm not sure, it just says, um, it doesn't say, it doesn't mention the other women. Okay, so there's a group of women that are from Galilee that have followed Jesus down and were there at the crucifixion and they, they, they're there at the time of his death and they're going to be the ones involved in this, uh, this, uh, this fact of and this uh, this time of his resurrection. Now, before we get to the point of resurrection, there's one other thing I want to talk about, and that's what happened between the time he died and the time he rose again. What happened during that time? Well, we know of one thing that was going to take place. It says in Luke chapter 23, in verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who were, hang, who were hanged there, who were hanging there, were hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, say, him said, Do you not fear, even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus is dying on Friday. He's on the cross. He's speaking to one of the, the robbers, one of the thieves on the cross, that comes to the point of believing in Jesus Christ and repenting of his sins and calling on Jesus to save him. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. So we know that when Jesus died... At some point, he went to paradise. Okay? That's the, that's the point of the scripture there, that he will be with him in paradise. Now, uh, turn to Ephesians. Well, first of all, turn to Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 again. The same passage where we just read that Jesus is going to die for our sins. He goes into a little bit further explanation of what is going on there. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we read verse 18. It says, For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So here it says something about Jesus going and making proclamation or preaching to the spirits that are in prison. Now who's, what spirits are these that were there during the times of Noah? We'll turn over to Jude and let's read one more passage and then we'll talk about what went on here. In Jude, the book of Jude, verse 6, it says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 
Now, when Noah was commissioned by God to build the ark, it was at the end of the time frame between the fall of Adam and the flood. So Noah, in the last 120 years before the flood, he was building this ark and he was making, he was preaching about the judgment to come. And during this time, fallen angels took on the flesh of men and engaged in sexual immorality in in an arena which God had not, God had forbidden for them to do. Angels were entered into the physical realm and involved in all kind of immorality, sexual immorality with human beings. And these angels were put in prison. It says here they were put in prison in chains and kept in the eternal bonds until the time when these will be brought out of the eternal bonds of chains in the pit and they will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and the other demons. But these are reserved in chains of darkness. So these are the ones that Peter is talking about that Jesus is going and he is making proclamation to these spirits that were present during the time that Noah was preaching about the judgment come and all of the preaching that Noah did was thwarted by the not talking about God's sovereign purpose and will that he didn't choose any of these to be saved, but it was thwarted by the activity of Satan on the earth to keep people from coming to know the truth and blinding the hearts of those through this gross wickedness that was going rampant upon the earth at this time. So when Christ dies on the cross, he goes down into Hades and makes proclamation or goes down to the area of the pit where these angels are being held and he makes proclamation to them because what Satan has been attempting to do all the way from the time he killed Abel to the time he killed the young babies by Herod's proclamation, Satan has been trying to kill the seed that was promised to come. And now Jesus has died on the cross as the one that was declared to be the Son of God at the time of his baptism. It was declared that he is the Son of God. And now, in, so that the angels that are in prison might, not, might think that they have won the victory by having this seed put to death, Jesus goes down and makes proclamation to them that through his death, he has won the victory. And that their eternal damnation is sealed because he is the righteous judge that will judge them. He is not preaching to lost people that died and went to hell and giving them a second chance like some people have taught. He is making a declaration, a proclamation to these spiritual fallen angels that are in prison. He's making proclamation that in his death, he is not defeated, he is triumphant. That's what he's talking, that's what he's doing here. Now in Ephesians... It talks about what else he is accomplishing with those that are in paradise or those that are believers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. And now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is, he, is himself also he who ascended far above all heavens that he might, fulfill, that he might fill all things. What he's talking about here is that the Word became flesh. God has descended down to become a part of humanity, to the world. And when he, goes, he talks about the lower parts of the earth, he also descended into Hades 
to make this proclamation and to take paradise or the souls that are in Abraham's bosom in the Old Testament saints, they all went to Abraham's bosom or paradise, and now he has taken those souls of the saints to heaven with him and delivered them out of that place of paradise there to now what paradise is in heaven. And that's why when Paul was called up into the third heaven, he called it paradise because paradise has been removed from the place of the dead, saints in the Old Testament, to heaven where Christ is. And he also gave gifts. And in the context of Ephesians 4, he's talking about giving gifts. So at the same time that Jesus is going to ascend back into heaven, he promises to his disciples he's going to send the Holy Spirit upon them to indwell them, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in that baptism and indwelling comes the giving of spiritual gifts. And in Ephesians 4, immediately after that, that, he, that he's going to give these gifts, he tells us what these gifts are. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some for the, equip, for the work of the equipping of the saints. So he's talking about the giftedness for the church saints to do the work as the body of Christ during this age. So as he's ascending in heaven, he's sending the Spirit of God to be the Spirit that indwells the believers on earth. At the same time, the ones that are dead in paradise are being delivered up to heaven. Okay, any questions on that aspect of what Jesus is doing during the time that he has died, but he has not resurrected yet? Now, this is not talking about his ascension bodily into heaven that we're going to see later, next week maybe. So he's not talking about that. He's just talking about that in his spirit, spirit after he died, he went to Hades and made this proclamation to the fallen angels that sinned, and then he took the... He took the souls in paradise to heaven. There's a question about the compartments of Hades. Yeah. So they, these fallen angels, are they separated from the yes. unbelievers? Yes, yes, yes. And then the, the ones in paradise that were the elect, when did they get their glorified body? Okay, that's a good question. So in the glorified body, the only, re, the only time we get glorified body is in our resurrection or our transformation. There's only two ways you can get a glorified body, in our resurrection or our transformation. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. So no one is going to be resurrected with a glorified body before Jesus. Okay? So the only two possibilities that, of someone having a glorified body before Jesus would be Elijah and Enoch, because they didn't die. So all the Old Testament saints are, spirits, are in their spirit being. They're not in a body. And so they were in a spirit being in paradise, and now paradise is in heaven, so they still have a, they're still a, are a soul without a body. So in the, prog, in, the, in, the, in the process of glorification, you will have, uh, we'll talk next week about these the graves that were opened at the time of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, were they given a glorified body or they were given a physical body? John MacArthur says they were given a glorified body. I kind of think they were given a physical body like Lazarus, and it makes sense why that that would be true, but we'll look at that next week. But, so in the process of the glorification process, it is Christ the firstfruits, the church saints that are in Christ, the two witnesses that are in the middle of the tribulation, and then the tribulation saints, and then finally the Old Testament saints before the thousand years begins. So everyone that is going to receive a glorified body through resurrection will be resurrected before the thousand year kingdom. At the end of the thousand year kingdom, everyone that, that is 
saved will live the entire thousand years, and at the end of the thousand years, they will receive a transformed body, just like we will at the rapture, if we're still living. It will be a transformation into a glorified state without death, so it won't be a resurrection. The resurrection of the righteous will be completed before the, trip, before the millennial kingdom begins, and it will include all saints that have died as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But during the millennial kingdom, paradise is empty. Right. Yes. Yes. During the millennial kingdom, all saints will be upon the earth. There will not even be any saints in heaven in the millennial kingdom. The glorified saints will all be present with Christ, ruling and reigning on the earth. And the living saints will be in their physical bodies, living with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. And then we will, this heaven and earth will be done away with, and then we will all be in a glorified state, transferred to the eternal state of the new heaven, new earth. Okay, so that's what happened during the time between the death and the resurrection. So now we're coming up to the time of the morning of the resurrection. Now, I th it gets a little complicated, but I want, I, here's what I'm going to kind of give you what I believe is the scenario how this unfolds. And so as you read through the different accounts, maybe you'll uh, agree and understand that that's why we're doing this. Okay, in Matthew 28, in Matthew's account, all right, what you have here is the, the women of Galilee have gone back to their place of residence in, in Jerusalem, preparing the spices and the perfumes, and they're going to go to the grave on the morning of the resurrection. Okay? And here you have the tomb that was sealed with a stone, and the soldiers are there guarding the tomb. So that's what you have early on Sunday morning, the soldiers guarding the tomb, the tomb is sealed with a stone, and the women are preparing to go to the tomb. So I believe what happens first is that the angel comes and rolls away the tomb, and the soldiers see it. So in, in Matthew 28... Roll away the stone. Roll away the stone, I'm sorry. So in Matthew 28, uh, it says in verse 2, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, had occurred, this is before the women got there, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and set upon it, and his appearance was like lightning, and his garment was white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Okay, so that's the situation with the angel coming and removing the stone. Evidently, there was an earthquake, probably a localized earthquake in that immediate area, and at the same time, the stone was rolled away by the angels, and the angels appeared to these soldiers, and they became like dead men. I mean, they were shook to their core by the fear of what was going on. Okay? So obviously, they knew what happened, they knew the stone was rolled away, and they knew that there was no body in the tomb. Now, did they stay for all of the occurrences of the women coming and John and Peter coming? We don't know. But we do know, and go down in chapter 28 of Matthew, it says, 
It's talking about the women left to go on their way, and they met Jesus. But it says in verse 11, But while they were, gone, were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and council together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said to them, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ear, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. So the soldiers guarding the tomb were there when the angel came and rolled the stone away and appeared to them in a glorified state or a magnificent state and it shook them to the core and at some point they got up from being as dead men and they went running to the city to report to the to the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews who had commissioned them to guard the tomb and they knew that if they failed in their, in their guarding the tomb, that they'd be put to death. That was their fear. And so this story, here's another example that is amazing to me. You've got these Jewish leaders who saw the miracles of Jesus, knowing that he was a son of God, had him put to death. And now, when they understand and, and realize that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He came out of the grave and is made alive. He's resurrected. Instead of falling on their knees and begging for mercy, they come up with a story to hide the truth. They know it's true. They pay the soldiers to tell a lie because they knew it was true. But it didn't affect their heart. It shows you that the heart that is darkened and deceived and controlled by Satan even when confronted with the truth and the reality, will not believe, cannot believe, because it is not of God. You cannot. And as we'll see later, when Jesus appears from the time of his resurrection until the time of his ascension, he was on earth for approximately 40 days, and he appeared to many, but he didn't seem, it doesn't show anywhere where he appeared to anyone that was not a believer. Because... He said, there's no sign that will be given to you except a future time when they will be given a sign that they will believe. But they wouldn't, if they didn't believe his miracles and his wonders, they wouldn't believe him if he came back from the dead. Okay. Now, so the, the women come. Okay, so in John's gospel, it just makes one statement, and it just says, it just talks about Mary Magdalene. It says in verse 1 of John's gospel in chapter 20, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So that's Mary Magdalene's account. So if you go to Matthew and you look at, we'll look at each, each account of how it talks about the women. It says in, in Matthew's account, verse, chapter 28, verse 1, After the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Okay? And so it said, then it talks about the stone was rolled away. And uh, so they, they saw this. When it came to the grave, the stone was already rolled away. So go to Mark's passage in Mark 16. And again, the same account, when the Sabbath was over, verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the mother and the mother James and Salome brought spices and they might come that they might come and anoint him. 
in the very, in, and very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the, the sun had risen. And when they were saying to one another on the way, they're on the way there, and they're saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. So they're on their way, and they're thinking about this. Thinking, How are we going to get in? Who's going to roll the stone away? So at the point that they're walking toward the grave, they don't know what has happened. They don't know that the stone is away. They're thinking about how we're going to, how is this going to happen? So in Luke's passage, when you go to Luke chapter 23 or 24, these, these same women that had prepared in, in the spices and perfumes in verse 56 and rested on the Sabbath day. In verse 1 of chapter 4 of 24, it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So they found that. Now, so you've got these women that have traveled to the tomb. And it's a group of women. It's not just Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's, it's, it's all these women that came from Galilee that have bonded together, and they're traveling together, and they're doing this together. So you got this picture of these women that have come to the tomb. Now Mary gets Mary Magdalene gets there and sees the tomb, the, the stones rolled away, and obviously it's obvious that Jesus' body is not in the tomb. And here's what I think happened. As the women are standing around not knowing what to do, I think Mary Magdalene ran a short distance, a short distance, it's nearby to where the apostles are, she ran a short distance and told Peter and John. And I think the other women were standing back waiting for Peter and John to get there. So here in John chapter 20, you have the, the account of Peter and John. And it says that they ran. She, so she, in verse 2, Mary Magdalene ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. At this point in time, I do not believe that they had, confronted, they had been confronted with the angels. At this point in time, I believe they just got to the grave, saw that the tomb was empty, saw that the stone was gone, and Mary Magdalene runs back to the disciples and tells Peter and John, here comes Peter and John. And here's the account of Peter and John. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. Now it's a short distance, so they're running the whole way. It's a short distance, it's not going to take them long. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linings, the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came and followed him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciples who had first came, come to the tomb entered them also, so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered them then also, and he saw and believed, and yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. So here the, the two disciples come. Peter busts right down in the tomb, and there's no body there. The, the linen clothes are, are folded. What does, that, what does that say when it says the linen clothes are folded and placed? When Lazarus came out of the tomb... What was the, the situation? They were all wrapped around him. They were all wrapped around him. They were still wrapped up in the, the trappings. Here, Jesus' body is resurrected and nothing bars him from... Being neat and tidy. Nothing bars him from going through the, the clothes or the, the wrappings. He's wrapped up, but his body is not 
bound by that. So he is resurrected, and the angels, I think, fold the linens in the clothes and put them there on the place. So anyway, so Peter and John, they see it. There's no indication whatsoever that there's any angelic presence there with Peter and John, right? All they see is an empty tomb. They see the linen clothes neatly placed, no body. They still don't get it. They still don't understand all the ramifications of what Jesus has said. They still don't believe that he's been resurrected. They just think something has happened. They don't know what. So they leave and go home. Now, I think here's where it gets a little bit misunderstanding about, about the, the women. So here I think the women now approach the tomb. Okay, so in, in chapter 28, it says... I'm sorry? Matthew, I'm sorry. Matthew 28. This is after the, the guards have uh, shook for fear in verse 4. And the, then the angel said to the women... Then I think this is after the guards have left. I think this is after Peter and John have left. And now the angel appears to the women. And the angel appears to the women and says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying. So he says, Come, look into the tomb, see where he's lying. He's not here. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. So Jesus is, is going to appear to them in Galilee, but these, the angel is speaking to these women of Galilee, and he's saying, look at here, this is where he was laid, he has risen, he is not here, and he says, there you will see him, behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. So here you have the situation where the women have been approached by the angel, and they are... Uh, the Mark account is the very same thing. It says they entered the tomb and saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples. So the same account in Mark and Matthew are the same. And so they're told to go and report to um, to report to the disciples. Now, we go, when we get back to Matthew's account, we'll see where Jesus meets them on the road as they're going to report, okay? But first of all, Mary Magdalene evidently stays behind because you have in the John's account where Mary Magdalene is there outside the tomb, and I think the other women have gone, started back toward the, the apostles, and Mary Magdalene is stay, staying behind at the tomb. And here you have the account of Jesus meeting Mary Magdalene. In verse 11 of John chapter 20, it says, After the disciples went away, and I think after the women had seen the angels and they went away, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and behold, two angels were in white, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, Rabbanon, how you pronounce that? Anybody speak Hebrew? How you pronounce that? Rabbonat. And which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended my father, but I go to my brethren and say, but I but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Now we'll get to that in just a second. But go back to Luke. And the reason why I think that, that Mary stayed behind and this occurrence occurred while the other women are already going toward Jerusalem, it says in Mark, well, I'm sorry, Mark's gospel. In Mark's gospel, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 9, it says, And now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. I think the first person that ever saw Jesus resurrected was Mary Magdalene. Now, if you go to Matthew's account, these women that are going back to tell the disciples, as they've been commanded to do, they're going back to, to tell the disciples. It says in verse 8, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. So here are these women, the other women, on their way back to tell the apostles that they have talked to an angel, had spoke to an angel, the angel told them they had been risen. Now Jesus appears to them. Now the question is, did Jesus appear to Mary, and Mary run and catch up with them, and she is here with them? Maybe. But I believe that Mary saw Jesus first, and then he appeared to the women, whether Mary had caught up with them at the same time, and they all were together when Jesus appeared to them on the way back to the disciples or not. But Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then he appeared to these other women. And the message is clear. Jesus appeared in his resurrected body to these women. The disciples have not seen Jesus yet. Disciples are still in unbelief. And the disciples are told by these women to go to Galilee, and you will see Jesus in Galilee. So here you have kind of the events and the circumstances on how this transpires and takes place. And so now back to, to John's gospel and Mary Magdalene and this, this what was said to her. I think there's been a lot of confusion about what Jesus is saying here when he says, stop clinging to me. Now, first of all, he's saying, Mary, you don't need to hold on to me. I'm not going anywhere yet. Okay. I have not yet ascended my father. He's going to be on earth for 40 days. He's going to be there witnessing with him. You don't have to hang on to me. don't have to cling to me. You're going to see me. I'm going to ascend to my father. And from the standpoint of that, you don't have to be hanging on to me because I'm going to send my spirit to you. So it's not about he, he can't be touched by flesh because he is, hadn't ascended his father yet to be purified. No, that has nothing to do with this. It's about do not, you don't have to hang on to me. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to, you're not going to have to fear that you're never going to see me again. You don't have to hang on to me now. And I think that's what he's saying. He's saying, go tell them, brethren, that I am going to send to my father, but I'm going, to, I'm going to manifest myself to them before I do that. And so he does, and he spends the next 40 days in and out of interactions with the saints, the disciples, and those that are near to him of his resurrected appearance.
Now, one of the qualifications to be an apostle is that you had to have been taught by Jesus personally, and you had to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. So Paul, who was an apostle born out of due time, was, had received the appearance of Jesus Christ himself personally and was taught by Jesus himself personally in Arabia and therefore was qualified to be an apostle because he saw the resurrected Christ and he was taught by him personally, which is a qualification for all apostles. And that's another reason why there are no apostles today. No one today has seen the resurrected Christ. Jesus said, blessed be those who believe and have not seen. There's no, there's no apostles today. Apostles had to be those that witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Okay. Any questions so far? So as, as you go back and you study through and you read through the different gospel accounts of the resurrection, try to write down as you read through them, the different points, and then try to match them together to make sure that the, the chronology of the events makes sense and they flow. They're not contradictory. It's just that different gospel writers put in different parts of the piece of the puzzle. And so as you go through that and you see that. So here you have the situation is that miraculously, the stone was rolled away. Not for the benefit of Jesus coming out of the tomb. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away to come out of the tomb. You understand that? The, roll, the stone was rolled away so that everybody would know that he was not in the tomb. Okay? He is almighty God with a glorified body. Now, what kind of body did he have? And that's one thing that we are not positive of, but we do know a couple of things. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the kind of body that we're going to have. It gives some indications that our body is going to be like his because we're going to be conformed to his image. And being conformed to his image means we're conformed to the image of the glorified Christ. So in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it talks about the body that God is going to give. It says in verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars different star to star. But also, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. So this body that we're going to receive is similar to the body that Jesus received in that it cannot be destroyed. It will never die. It will never diminish. It will never be dying or perishing. This body that we're going to receive, like the body that Jesus received, is a body that will endure everything. It will live forever. It is imperishable. It is, it, it is not a subject to decay or to any kind of, de of degradation. This body is a body that will exist eternally. Okay? It cannot be perishable. It also says, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. This is a body that is filled with the glory of God. There is no sin presence there. There is no curse presence there. In the glorified state, this body is outside of the curse. It is outside of the, the effects of sin, the consequences of sin in any way. 
It is, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. This body is weak. We depend on air to breathe. We depend on food to give us strength. We depend on everything in this environment for us to live. We cannot live without certain things. This body is weak, and it's really been weakened by sin. But this body itself, just the fleshly body is weak. It cannot endure eternity. It cannot be in the environment of heaven. It's got to be in the environment that God made for this body. It is weak in that sense. But the glorified body is a body that is beyond this earth. It goes into eternity in a state that is perfect and raised in power to be able to, to exist in a state of God's eternality. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, what is true about this body of Jesus that it is flesh and bone? Not flesh and blood, but flesh and bone. We'll get into it next week when we talk about when he appears to the disciples and he appears and he says, touch my flesh, touch my bones. It is a real body. It is not a spiritual con concoction. It is a real body. But it is a spiritual body in the sense that it is not like this fleshly body. It is a body designed for a spiritual realm, not for an earthly realm. But it is flesh and bone. There's real flesh and there's real bone. It is not subject to the, the flesh and blood system that we now have. Blood is not the source of life. It is the spirit that is the source of life. It is the new nature that God has given us. But it is real bone and real flesh. That's the kind of body we're going to have. But now, Jesus' body was not subject to that flesh and bone not being able to go through doors. It's a different kind of realm. Now, the question is, are we going to have the same kind of body that can go through doors that Jesus had, or is that because he is the Son of God? I believe we are. Because he took on our flesh to become flesh and blood and be made like us, and then we're going to be made like him in our resurrected body, so I believe our body will be like his body. His body does not make him deity. His deity is deity. And us being given a glorified body does not make us deity. So his, his spiritual body does not enhance his deity. It enhances his relationship to us as a glorified son because we're going to be glorified in the same way. Does that make sense? Okay. So just like he had a glorified body and just because he is the son of God doesn't mean that his glorified body is going to be different from our glorified body. So I would say... Whatever Jesus could do in his body, we can do in our body at the time we are glorified. Okay? So, it says, The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven, as is the earthy, so also are those that are earthy. In other words, as Adam was created flesh and blood, then we are born flesh and blood. And the body that God gave Adam did not change. What changed was the corruption that was brought in by sin. And so the body that God created or crafted in Adam became subject to sin, became subject to death and disease and decay. So when we're born with that same body that God crafted in Adam, flesh and blood, it's also a body that is corrupted by the fall so that our body, even when we're born, is already starting to die. Cells start to die. Our body is perishable. It's going to perish. It's going to, to be destroyed. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And it says, 
so as also are those who are earthly, as is the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall bear the image of the heavenly. So just like the first Adam, we bore flesh and blood, and the flesh that came from Adam's birth, or Adam's creation, and we were born in that, we're now going to be given a body like the heavenly body of Jesus Christ. So that's what's going to happen in our glory.